Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the story. It is Saturday, September 18th, and I'm going to record this today and do a bit of editing. So I'll probably post this um, Sunday. And I originally planned to release this story, The Maiden Czar, that we're working on together, enjoying together, exploring together um, in two parts. And just as is always the case with myth and folk and fairy tale, these things are alive. Just like the psyche is very much alive, it's moving and shifting and shaping all the time. And as I spent time with this story, even though I've worked with it in the past, whole new reservoirs of understanding were opening up and flowing in my imagination and in my heart. And I just, I couldn't rush it. And, you know, here I had my schedule, you know, on the one hand, I want to get this out. I want to get this to folks, you know, get part two out there. And I just, I couldn't do it. And so I had to take a few more days and just sit with this material. And as a storyteller, and as somebody who participates in, you know, the deep psychological life both as a person in this world and, and in my work, in my career, um, I have to take that seriously, not in a, in a heavy sense, but um, in a sacred sense, that if the story is wanting to do its work, I have to be with that and let that happen because then my telling and retelling of it with you is better and more is happening in the space between us between you, my audience, and me here sitting in my studio at my microphone. And I trust that that's the case. You know, this so much is happening in the space between us because we're fundamentally all connected. And I was shocked. You know, I've worked this story before. I've written a paper on it. I've mentioned those things to you. But here it was taking me to a new place and my own processing of it. And I was just... Um, you know, really brought up short that I couldn't rush it. And indeed, we're going to have to do this in three parts. So we're going to spend time with the Baba Yaga today because she's such an important figure. And then um, I do have the rest of the story finished in terms of my study of it and and my processing of it, although, of course, that will be ongoing. Um, so I will post part three probably Tuesday or Wednesday. It will be a pretty quick turnaround on that end. Um, but I just wanted to give you a heads up about what was going on with the story. The story has us all, and I'm sort of the go-between, perhaps. But remember that the story is alive in you in its own way. And all these figures are psychological aspects of you. And just like they would be in a dream. And so it's important if you are a storyteller to not share a story if you don't at least know that it's moving inside of you in some way. I mean, you can. You can just tell a flat old story, you know, but I, I honor that there's more going on here. And so that's my approach. And so um, I'm telling this because this is very much alive in me right now, and it's continuing to unfold and bring beautiful insights. And, you know, I'm using Marion Woodman and Robert Bly's 
book, The Maiden King, to help me um, take the deep dive into the maiden czar. And, you know, I, I read this 10 years ago, five years ago, and here I am with it again. And it's just like some of this stuff I had never even read before. And I know you know how that is. If you do any kind of contemplation or introspection in your life, that just happens. You know, you read Rumi or you read any of um, the great spiritual masters or, or William Blake or, you know, just the greats and the wise ones who have come before us, any spiritual text, and then you'll revisit it and it's as though you're seeing it for the first time. And that cyclical nature, that non-linear fashion where these truths work themselves out in us, in our lived experience, is a really precious thing. And it just, it's so freaking uncanny to me how that happens every time. And I'm humbled by that work. So that's what I'm bringing to you. I'll jump back in and, and just tell the story up to the point where we left off, because I want you to be back in that beautiful story space with me where we slip between the worlds of rational thought and the psychological magic that happens. We're going to suspend any disbelief and hop back into the story. So this first part here, I will read again, just to get you back in the frame of mind. We'll touch on a few things. And then we're going to spend today with Baba Yaga. And then part three will come post here in just a few days because it's basically ready to go, but I don't want to rush it. So we're continuing on with The Maiden's Hour Part 2, and here we go. In a certain land, in a certain kingdom, there was a merchant whose wife died, leaving him with an only son, Ivan. He put his son in charge of a tutor, and after some time took another wife. And since Ivan, the merchant's son, was now of age and very handsome, his stepmother fell in love with him. One day, Ivan went with his tutor to fish in the sea on a small raft. Suddenly, they saw thirty ships making toward them. On these ships sailed the maiden Tsar, with thirty other maidens, all her foster sisters. When the ships came close to the raft, all thirty of them dropped anchor. Ivan and his tutor were invited aboard the best ship, where the maiden Tsar and her thirty foster sisters received them. She told Ivan that she loved him passionately and had come from afar to see him, so they were betrothed. The maiden Tsar told the merchant's son to return to the same place the following day, said farewell to him, and sailed away. Ivan returned home and went to sleep. The stepmother led the tutor into her room, made him drunk, and began to question him as to what had happened to him and Ivan at sea. The tutor told her everything. Upon hearing his story, she gave him a pin and said, Tomorrow, when the ships begin to sail toward you, stick this pin into Ivan's tunic. The tutor promised to carry out her order. Next morning, Ivan arose and went fishing. As soon as his tutor beheld the ship sailing in the distance, he stuck the pin into Ivan's tunic. Oh, I felt so sleepy, said the merchant's son. Listen, tutor, I will take a nap now, and when the ships come, please rouse me. Very well, of course I will rouse you, said the tutor. 
The ship sailed close to the raft and cast anchor. The maiden czar sent for Ivan, asking him to hasten to her, but he was sound asleep. The servants began to shake him, pinch him, and nudge him, all in vain. They could not awaken him, so they left him. The maiden czar told the tutor to bring Ivan to the same place on the following day, then ordered her crews to lift anchor and set sail. As soon as the ships sailed away, the tutor pulled out the pin, and Ivan awoke, jumped up, and began to call to the maiden czar to return. But she was far away then and could not hear him. He went home sad and aggrieved. His stepmother took the tutor into her room, made him drunk, questioned him about everything that had happened, and told him to stick the pin through Ivan's tunic again the next day. The next day, Ivan again went fishing, went to sleep, and did not see the maiden, Tsar. She left word that he should come again. On the third day, he again went fishing with his tutor. They came to the same old place and beheld the ships sailing at a distance, and the tutor straightway stuck in his pen, and Ivan fell sound asleep. The ships sailed close and dropped anchor. The maiden, Tsar, sent for her betrothed to come aboard her ship. The servants tried in every possible way to rouse him, but no matter what they did, they could not waken him. The maiden czar learned of the stepmother's ruse and the tutor's treason, and wrote to Ivan, telling him to cut off the tutor's head, and if he loved his betrothed, to come and find her beyond thrice nine lands in the thrice tenth kingdom. The ships had no sooner set sail and put out to sea than the tutor pulled the pin from Ivan's garment he awoke and began to bemoan his loss of the maiden czar, but she was far away and could not hear him. The tutor gave him her letter. Ivan read it, drew out his sharp saber, and cut off the wicked tutor's head. Then he sailed hurriedly to the shore, went home, said farewell to his father, and set out to find the thrice tenth kingdom. He journeyed onward and straight ahead, a long time or a short time, for speedily a tale is spun, but with less speed a deed is done, and finally came to a little hut. It stood in the open field, turning on chicken legs. He entered and found Baba Yaga, the bony-legged. Fie, fie, she said, the Russian smell was never heard of nor caught sight of here, but now it is come by itself. Are you here of your own free will or by compulsion, my good youth? Largely of my own free will and twice as much by compulsion. Do you know, Baba Yaga, where lies the thrice tenth kingdom? No, I do not, she said and told him to go to her second sister. She might know. Ivan thanked her and went on farther. He walked and walked, a long distance or a short distance, a long time or a short time, and finally came to a little hut exactly like the first and there too found a Baba Yaga. Fie, fie, she said, the Russian smell was never heard of nor caught sight of here, but now it has come by itself. Are you here of your own free will or by compulsion, my good youth? Largely of my own free will and twice as much by compulsion. Do you know, Baba Yaga, where lies the thrice tenth kingdom? No, I do not, she said, and told him to stop at her youngest sister's. She might know. If she gets angry at you, she added, and wants to devour you, take three horns 
from her and ask her permission to blow them. Blow the first one softly, the second louder, and the third still louder. Ivan thanked the Baba Yaga and went on farther. He walked and walked a long distance or a short distance, a long time or a short time, and finally beheld a little hut standing in the open field and turning upon chicken legs, he entered it and found another Baba Yaga. Fie, fie, the Russian smell was never heard of nor caught sight of here, and now it has come by itself, she said, and ran to wet her teeth, for she indeed intended to eat her uninvited guest. Ivan begged her to give him three horns. He blew the first softly, the second louder, and the third still louder. Suddenly birds of all kinds swarmed about him, among them the firebird. Sit upon me quickly, said the firebird, and we shall fly wherever you want. If you don't come with me, the Baba Yaga will devour you. That's where we stopped last time. And so now I want to just talk a bit about who the Baba Yaga is. I mentioned last time that she is this incredible psychological energy. And that's just an understatement. Um, <laughs> she exists in several tales. And indeed, we're also going to look at another one called um, Vasilisa the Wise, which definitely features the Baba Yaga. And... You know, I'm still always a student of folk and fairy tales, and indeed, I'm taking a class later today. Um, I have the opportunity to do a super cool online course that's going through a lot of Marie-Louise von Franz's work, and she was a student of C.G. Jung's. And I'll have so much to share um, with you upon taking that class for myself. So I'm super excited about that. No uh, accident there that all this is happening at once. But back to Baba Yaga, you know, when we talk about the hero and heroine's stories, and we've touched a bit upon that in our podcast time together, and we're again, we're talking about those masculine and feminine energies within each human being, um, no matter what your outer orientation or, or uh, biology or gender preference is. So we're talking about those complementary energies, however you wish to define them, but that one being the more external, outward moving one and the more receptive um, presence filled energy. So we're talking about the balance of those. And I would offer that when we explore the Baba Yaga story about Vasilisa, that is more the feminine's exploration of the Baba Yaga energy. And this one here, the Maiden Czars, I would offer, because it's featuring Yvonne's, I would offer that this is more the masculine, quote-unquote, encounter with the Baba Yaga energy. And again, all of us are going to experience both at some point, psychologically. Our feminine aspect is going to have a certain journey with the Baba Yaga, and our masculine energy is going to have a slightly different, but importantly different, journey with her. And... But she herself maintains certain qualities that I had to rely heavily on Robert Bly and Marion Woodman's guidance. And then a 
course, it just started to move and make sense in me. So this is all stuff that at, at our core we remember. This is the stardust from which we are made. These are the myths and stories that we spring from in a cosmic and psychological sense. So I know this will be just like reminding us, but it's so nice to have wonderful guides. And the way that uh, Woodman and Bly's book is set up is Robert Bly gives the masculine perspective and Marion Woodman then gives the feminine perspective on this story. So I just went through and highlighted things that leapt out at me this time around working with the story. And again, that's what I encourage you to do is as you're listening to the story, as you're listening to my comments on it, just see where your own mind goes. And all in all, probably the greatest takeaway I want to give you um, before I share Robert Bly and Marion Woodman's thoughts on this, in addition to my own, is this kind of psychological work can be more profound than we sometimes anticipate. And even yesterday, you know, I walk a lot for exercise and just to clear my head and um, experience the outdoors. And I just felt kind of a heaviness, which was weird because I love doing these stories. But I'd spent a lot of time with this yesterday and I was just getting into my head, you know, and there was so much going on and I was trying to comprehend this with my head. And I immediately on the walk just stopped that, just like Yvonne cut off the tutor's head. This is not wisdom that we're going to rationally sort through and comprehend. My advice to you, and this immediately lifted the cloud that I had settled into, was to just get out of your head and experience this story with your instincts and with your body. And like a child, remember how children are when they want us to read them a story. They're like, read it again, read it again, read it again. And they just, they're lighthearted about it. They fall asleep after hearing it. And they, they live it. They play with it. They talk about it when they're playing the next day in their characters or when they're outside running around or whatever. So I just encourage you to, as we stir this psychological ground, a lot's going to happen. And it might come alive in your dreams or in a conversation you have or in a movie you're attracted to or in song lyrics or some way the psyche is speaking to you. But maintain a light heart and a curiosity, and just approach it like a child would and stay out of your head. Because we learned that in part one, that going into that rational way of trying to understand everything is not helpful. So um, Robert Bly, to that very point, says, I'm quoting him from the book. We could say that Baba Yaga eats whoever is still thinking oppositionally. If you believed, if you believe that communism is the opposite of capitalism, she'll eat you. She had a lot of food during the 50s. If you believe that women are the opposite of men, she'll eat you. She had a lot of food during the 80s. She takes care of cleaning out the garbage of the universe. All, either, or people she eats on the spot with gusto, though it takes a while for some of them to know that they've been eaten. That's such an amazing entry into the Baba Yaga's thinking, the, the, the psychological energy she represents. We are in the realm of imagination, and we must rely on that sacred instinct 
to navigate our lives now. We can't go into the head and say, oh, there's this side and there's this side. She is all the dualities spun together. She is the wild, alive life force, the Gaia mother and the, and the dark mother that will eat you alive and spit you out. And how you must approach her from the very beginning, this psychological energy that is so much larger than a human can take on, a human mind can take on, is you bow to that. You, you know, in a psychological sense, you bow to the fact that she is all the paradoxes together and that that's where the beauty and the message and the growth trajectory are, is in sort of bowing before that and not polarizing. If you're still in a way where you're polarizing one side, whatever it is, or the other, and we all do it. We all do it. That's our human walk here. But when we meet Baba Yaga, it's a moment in our psychology where we're being asked to see the the absolute power of the universe that is creating all of the polarities that we're experiencing and to not polarize to ultimately find, and we'll talk about this as we go through today, the still point between them, between those polarities. We hold that space between that tension of those opposites, whatever they are, so that something beautiful and alive and fresh and perfect for our lives can blossom in that space. The space where we don't polarize with either or thinking, with that oppositional thinking, with that zero-sum mentality that is so ingrained in the collective unconscious, in the collective culture. Um, He also says, Robert Bly, if the truth doesn't seem complicated to you, you're not ready to live in her universe. And the best part for your head is on the 12th stake. What he's referring to there is oftentimes her house on the little chicken legs and the hut that spins and it always faces the darkest side of the forest also has a fence that has just gleaming skulls on it. And there's 11 um, skulls on her fence posts and the 12th one is waiting you know, for whoever she's about to devour. And he's saying... You know, when she says to Yvonne, are you here by your own free will or by compulsion? The smarter we get, the wiser we get as we travel, as we gain some years and some experience, we realize that answers aren't cut and dried. Now, our morality, our sense of authenticity might be stronger than ever. And I, that's my experience that that is the case. But simple little trite answers are, are way too complex anymore because we see how much we're adding to our own soup. We finally see that. It's not just the other out there, it's us. And as we grow wise to ourselves, we see that. And so when she's saying, are you here because you want to be here or because you're being driven by something? It's both and all and, and all the rest of it put together. And Yvonne knows that. He's to a place where he sees that. He's like, you know what? <laughs> it's all of that. And it, it adds up to over 100% here. And she likes that. And that's why she doesn't eat him. 
And that's why the second Baba Yaga doesn't eat him. Because he's entered the realm of his imagination. He's not taking life so literally. He's not polarizing. He's starting to create and sense and move in his next accurate step forward from the imagination. And she can deal with that. That's what coming into her universe asks us to do. And so he's passed that test, and he, he passes it twice, in fact. So if you're finding yourself in your life right now faced with two impossibilities, and you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't, you are likely in the presence of your own interior Baba Yaga. And the trick is to not polarize, to not go to one extreme or the other. But it's more than that, you know, because we've talked about that idea before and, and how that sort of holding the tension of those opposites creates a third thing, which is awesome. And, and that's definitely what this is about. But there's something more. All of our good ideas about who we are, about how we move forward, about how we use willpower and all the rest of it to create a life that we want that only gets us so far. And the Baba Yaga's message is also about moving out of the head. Remember, the tutor's head was cut off. And in Avon's journey, he's now moving into the body, which means moving into experience. So we are going to live these questions and answers, not just have an intellectual argument with them, not just have an intellectual experience with them, just in the mind. Now that's different than using the imagination. Imagination and um, hamster wheel thinking are two very, very different things. So you get what I mean there. We have to get out of the head. That does not mean we don't invoke imagination. That is one vehicle for actually getting out of the head is to go into the imagination. And that is a full body experience. And so I want to stress that, that the Baba Yaga is this incredible opportunity to pull back a little bit and see the ferocity and just imagine this cauldron, if you will, of all of life, the creative engine of life just spewing out all it spews out, ecstasy, agony, all the polarities that give life all of its juice and drama and power and story. All of that is spinning sort of from her realm. And our task is to be able to hold still long enough to remove ourselves from the slings and arrows of that and to watch it and to start to experience who we are in relationship to that, to have a sense of humor, to not be polarized. And then Robert Bly gives this beautiful, beautiful statement where he quotes, go and enjoy the world. Go and enjoy the world. It's as if she is saying that. Like in my presence, seeing all that I can conjure and throw at you, seeing my ferocity and my tenderness, the ups and the downs, the divorce and the marriage, the, the death and the life, for she is a death goddess as well as a life goddess. Make no mistake. But seeing all of that, and somehow not being sucked in 
and then to experience ourselves, our own aliveness in the face of that, in her hag face. For her then to say, go and enjoy the world. This is her admonishment to us. Can you still go and enjoy the world? Can you go with an open heart and a curiosity and an imagination? Go and enjoy the world. That is called passing her test, her threshold. And we will meet her again and again as we whittle our way down to our essence. And so I want to share some words from Marion Woodman now about meeting that essence The death goddess does exist, Marian Woodman says. We are meeting her every day in the parts of us that need to die in order for new life to come in. We meet her in our lost job, our lost marriage, our lost loved ones, and our lost youth. Our either-or thinking exacerbates our agony because we are trapped with no third possibility able to rise unless we can hold the tension of the opposites until they transform. If you are hostile to her, she is hostile to you. Courtesy, accepting the hospitality of the Baba Yaga and eating what she has to offer is essential. Perfection polarizes the world makes life impossible to live. Our ideals, including our ideals of a swan-like beauty, keep us constantly projecting anger onto our imperfect bodies, her territory. Women and men increasingly focus on their bodies as their enemies. That attitude constellates the energies of the dark mother. Just think of dark mater. Making her retaliate with symptoms that may force us into dialogue with her. That dialogue can bring her sufficiently into our consciousness that we are not obliterated by fear of death. In a relationship, all may go well until the I desire of the great mother surfaces and the partners are exhilarated by the energy of this, even in the sexual realm. Once the primal energy begins to swirl them into the vortex, they may panic and project onto each other the gaping maw that will swallow them whole People with a stepmother and or absent father in their history have to be especially careful at this point. Their personal experience of having to fend for their life will quickly swirl around them. They fear being sucked alive into that vortex. The death mother is capable of doing just that if consciousness is not present. So long as that potential for terror is at the center of a relationship, no solid base exists. The closer you are to intimacy, the deeper the, quote, I desire rears its head, the more the Baba Yaga files her teeth. Conscious willpower and counseling cannot stop the unconscious terror until partners can see what they are projecting onto each other and begin a dialogue with their own inner Baba, paint her, dance her, even fight with her. The relationship cannot move on into a deeper level. That is a powerful passage that Woodman gives us there, and there's so much there. And I just ask you to just travel with that. Again, just get out of the head and just let that passage just impact you, impact the body, and just travel with it for a while. We don't have to make sense of it intellectually. 
We just have to know that if we're coming into greater intimacy in our lives, whether that's with a creative project, with a partner, with a sense of your own joy about your own body and your health, that there's going to be that time when those old, old wounds of childhood where you had to accommodate people or hide yourself or be a bully or whatever, it, however you coped early on, you're going to have to face that shit too. It's just the way it goes. But we can hold back, you know, that, that witness posture and just see it happening. We don't have to get sucked in by that vortex because we ultimately have to surrender that old identity that isn't really even us. But as long as we think that identity is us, we're going to throw it onto other people and catch it coming back at us. We're going to throw it onto situations and catch it coming back at us. I can speak to this myself. I have a lot of perfection in my past. That was my coping mechanism. And so it has blocked abundance in my life in in a huge way because I have this really, really old fossilized opinion, you know, that, that kept me safe, that says, hey, when I get this perfect, then I can receive something. When I get this really dialed in, then I have enough authority or um, perfection to receive flow back to me. That has been eating me alive, just like the Baba Yaga threatens to. It's her territory. It's her territory in which I see that now, and I'm so grateful to her. I'm so grateful for that exchange because I was able to catch myself and see that pattern. And it's not helpful. You know, I, I, that whole thing, hey, you've got to be perfect to, to have your father's um, love and attention. It's not working. It's not going to work. It will never work. But I've carried that pattern my whole life. And our parents were just doing the best that they knew how to do, right? And on and on and on generationally, But these patterns are up to us to stop, right? It's on our backs. And and when we shift in a familial system, the whole family shifts. And that is just what it is. And you don't have to go make everybody feel okay about that. Just keep going. Keep doing your work. Keep trusting the next unknown step. And be brave. You don't get into Baba Yaga territory and not learn some courage. And Marian Woodman offers this. I love this passage. Listen to this. If we are able to connect with our inner world, we grow up and find our true parents in the great mystery, no matter what name we give it. Growing up is accepting the darkness within us as it is in everyone, until we accept that responsibility, we will go on blaming the other sex, our parents, our countries, our religions, the environment, the dog, I will add our politics. We are definitely in a cultural Baba Yaga moment right now. And the medicine is to look her in the eye and take her medicine to not get distracted. And not everybody's going to be able to do that. 
And that's okay. We can't take that on either. We can't get distracted with people who want to get distracted. (laughs) There's some irony there for you. And Woodman also says the Baba Yaga demands the surrender of willpower. How do you like that living in the Western culture? Willpower is of no use here. When that is acknowledged, she is no longer perceived as good or evil. She is that matrix of life. And remember, the ultimate advice being in her terrain is, do we have the courage, knowing all of this, to go and enjoy the world? That is freaking incredible. And Robert Bly also says, This is not personal, right? This is psychically something that we all have to go through. And that is also super helpful, I think, when you're having a Baba Yaga moment, because we meet her again and again. It's a very cyclical thing as as we discover our essence. But he reminds all of us, it's nothing personal. This is what happens when the victim caterpillar is becoming the acquiescent butterfly. This is just what happens. And when we can pull back and say, hey, you know what? This shit is not personal, but it's still my job. It's still my responsibility to take for myself. I can't fix others. I can't save others. But in saving myself, I actually affect all those other realms that are touching me. Be they people or relationships career, creative projects, health, all of that is affected by us meeting our Baba Yaga moment. So now, you know, there's so much there. uh, I just, I just wish you well sitting with the Baba Yaga. I mean, she's just such an incredible, dark, fierce, comical mystery. And we have to ultimately acknowledge that mystery. That is one of my big takeaways from the other Baba Yaga story that we'll do um, where she's with Vasilisa. And there comes a time, you know, and I've been seduced by this. I love like talking about the unconscious and the archetypes and these stories. But because that's a love of mine, I also can fly too close to that. In some, in some respects, because there is ultimately a mystery that we are not going to understand on this side of death. And, and we can't sort of get caught up in, in trying to. And if a mood starts to overtake me, or if I'm too, too much in my head, um, I know I need to back off and just say that is part of the mystery. And I just got to keep moving. Not in a willpower way, not in a go produce way, but just like keep opening up and, and enjoying life and just letting the mystery be there. We're not going to understand all of this here. That's that's okay. And there's something really beautiful about that, just letting that mystery be the mystery. But let's talk a bit now about the three horns, because remember, in our story, the Baba Yaga even warns Yvonne, now when you get to my third sister, she's going to want to eat you. We can't just stay in her realm all the time, Right? These moments find us, and there are times when we need to leave, honor that mystery, and get the hell out of there, right? And that moment comes, and Yvonne knows it, and he takes the advice, and he he blows these horns. And that is also a really rich part of this story. 
And to basically summarize, what's happening here is the soul's voice, not our personality's voice, not our conditioned voice from childhood, not those voices, not the voice of the ego or the persona, but the soul's voice is starting to be heard. And we may have to do that gently in the beginning with the soft blow. And then we get more confident in what that sounds like, because not everybody likes to hear that. Oh, well. And then by the time the third blow through the horn comes, the soul's voice, we're getting comfortable with that. We're getting strong in that. And we're finding our life a lie if we don't speak in that way, speak through our actions, our voice, our relationships, our career choices, the way we love and nourish our body. These are all ways of speaking. And Marion Woodman links the throat chakra to this awakening, you know, of the soul. And our voice may change. It might stop being so high pitched if, if you're a woman. Sometimes when I hear women who have a super, super high voice, I know that they will mature into a deeper register when they're accessing soul. And sometimes I notice if my voice goes high, that's sometimes a trigger to me to say, you know, am I afraid of something here? Am I not moving from soul? Because I've maybe slipped back into another identity about myself, you know, a little girl identity, a, a victim or, or compromised identity in some way. And it, it helps me. And when we do that, when we open that access for the soul to speak, we will, in some extraordinary moment of grace, and this is a moment of grace, it will find us. It will be a peak experience. But this is when we meet the firebird. And again, the firebird's arrival is like that beautiful moment in the beginning of our story where he first glimpses the maiden czar and he's like, yeah, that's it. That, that's home. That's the divine mystery. That is all of life right there. That is where I'm heading. That's the goal, if you will. He's actually seeing the most beautiful part of himself in the maiden czar but he wasn't ready to accept that fully yet. So that launched his journey. The firebird is another moment where we touch that. And it, it sort of comes to rescue us and say, says, keep going. You know, it's real. I'm real. You are real. The thing in you that you hope to God is real. This beautiful divine part of you that you sense to be there. It is real. And it gives you a wink and a nod and a rescue and a moment of grace. And it's like, yeah, I'm here. And I, I'm going to swoop in here and, and help deliver you. And it's, it's just absolutely breathtaking when that, when that happens. And you're going to just know when it happens. It could be in a meditation. It could be on a mountain peak. It could be in the shower. I don't know when this moment will strike, but it will and it's somewhere along the journey when we most need it. And we have that sort of divine deliverance that says, keep going. You're so close. And this is real. Marion Woodman says, in the meeting with the third Baba Yaga by blowing the horn, Ivan finally opens his whole being to the breath of inspiration. And the firebird is thus aroused from the chaos 
She says, um, as this newly released form of pent-up energy, the flaming bird is the transformation of I desire as instinctual energy into I desire as spiritual energy. This is huge. This is such an important point because in our lives, we have a lot of, hey, I desire this. I want this. Um, you know, I want this career or this partner or this person. Um, and, and, and early on, we're often looking to those external things to complete us in some way. When the firebird moment appears, it's when we've done enough work on ourselves, when we've encountered enough Baba Yagas and are getting better at traveling her lessons. There's a transformation that happens in us that says you're getting really close to experiencing, again, this is about experience, this divinity for yourself. And the firebird appears and basically it's returning desire to us in a way that's really, really healthy. It's a heart's desire, not, hey, if I have X, Y, Z externally, that will make me okay. This returns to the spiritual heart energy and says from this point on, those desires are going to guide me because I've done enough of my Baba Yaga work that I know I'm a part of this equation. I'm taking responsibility. But the beautiful part of that is, is that we get to listen to our hearts again because we know our heart's desires are about experiencing our particular blend of soul in the world. But it's coming from the inside out. It's not something that we're looking at from the outside in to fix us. So this is that beautiful moment when we get a taste of that. And in my experience, it gives us a lot more energy for, for the rest of the journey here. Enjoying the journey is super important. We can't just be waiting for the end or we're missing the point. But to know suddenly that our heart's desires are reliable because we've done enough integration that, know, that we know that the good stuff is flowing from the inside out, right? The transformation of instinctual energy into spiritual energy, Woodman says, does not involve the sacrifice of instinct, but rather a refinement of those instincts. And here's where we get to that all-important point about holding that still point. And this was just huge for me. Uh, Woodman says, if you are on the firebird, you may have already discovered some of its shadow side because, of course, it's exhilarating, but there's also a shadow side. Like this, like the pendulum swinging, the firebird is going to carry Yvonne further into the positive side than ever before and therefore open him to a greater possibility of despair as well. So long as he holds his connection to his body, his experience, he can find a place midway on the swinging pendulum where he remains still and just allows it to swing through. That is really exciting. This is an option. Then he may say to himself, despair is in me, but I am not despair. This shall pass. Or I am in love. I am madly in love, but I'm not at the mercy of love. This too shall pass. So the ecstasy and the agony, we are able to have larger, increasingly larger experiences of that but we've learned the trick of holding the place in the middle so that we don't have to live those extremes out in our daily experience. That's a huge relief. 
You know, so if you're in a moment where wonderful things are happening in your life, you can enjoy them. You can enjoy your heart's desires. But because you're not identifying with them, getting your sense of purpose and and self-worth from them, then you don't have to constellate the shadow side of that and then have to live that out too. So this is the gift. This is this is this appearance of the firebird. And and we see a lot of famous artists that weren't able to hold that still point. You know, like if you think of Janis Joplin or Kurt Cobain or, you know, I mean, the 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 list is long, right, of artists who who are on that firebird's back and and they're not able to hold that center. And they're so bright and they have so much energy surging through them, creative and otherwise, but they fly too close to the sun and and die, die prematurely. They come back and have to have that lesson again. I'm guessing, you know, that's part of the mystery. And there's no judgment in that. I mean, it this takes this takes skill. And that's okay because this is, in my opinion, one of the reasons why we're here is to learn how to use our energy effectively and skillfully on our own behalf. And I'm going to end, you know, the firebird portion of this with another Woodman passage here where she says, the energy released from the toxicity of the parental complexes, from the drugs of addiction and inertia, is not energy for immature people. This is energy that can tear oneself and other people apart. It doesn't necessarily come out as rage. It is more likely to be a stark statement of truth that quietly cuts through to the heart of everything that is dishonest in a relationship. This is the place where the truth can set us free if we can hear it, and if we can be free, if we're in a place that we want to and can be free. Grief and shame and guilt will out, and in the releasing, unite splits that previously had been unable to heal. And that's where I want to end this today, because ultimately, we are returning home to this glorious maiden czar, balance of masculine and feminine, divine nature that we get a glimpse of in the firebird that is there radiating, pulsating from within us that will set all these things right. We are moving from that still point in the center of whatever polarities we're dealing with in our external world. And we're finding that that's the only solution. It's the only way that these incredible paradoxes get sorted out is moving from that glorious light, which contains the dark, moving from that space within. And it brings miraculous solutions and flow into our life. And our job is to remain alert, to stay out of the head, to have a sense of humor, and again, to go and enjoy the world while all of this is sorting through. So with that, big blessings for the rest of the weekend and into your week. And I will post the conclusion of this amazing folktale um, 
just within the next couple days. And, and that will end our story, but it's another really fascinating passage, but I'll just clue you in that this is about getting to, you know, that, that magical place of home that, that is us. And that's going to be the last section of this. So thank you for traveling this story with me. And until next time, take good care. everyone. If you're enjoying this podcast, remember to hit subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if my work is nourishing your heart and imagination, consider supporting the Apothecary podcast. Just follow the links to make a contribution. And for the full scope of my projects and offerings, including my weekly newsletter, visit lorigreen.net.